0: You're listening to another sermon podcast presented by Chelsea Presbyterian Church, located in Chelsea, Alabama. We value community, fellowship, and love for people from all walks of life. For more information, find us online at www.chelseapres.org or check us out on Facebook. Okay, you Bibles, you can turn to uh, Genesis 16. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10, and then verse 13. And uh, if you don't have your Bible, obviously we always have the printed in the Order of Worship uh, for your convenience. We're in a series called uh, the, the Names of God. This is our theme that we're working on throughout this series. Uh, and today we're looking at uh, one called El-Rohi, which is the God who sees. Uh, one of the questions I've been getting uh, throughout this series is like, why does God have so many names? Um, We've mentioned this kind of in an indirect way before, but imagine a God that is so infinite that one name can't do Him justice. That there's name after name after name that are, represents characteristics of who God is. And not only that, but I was uh, discussing this recently, uh, I believe in heaven we will continue to know more about God and we will continue to be revealed more and more names uh, because He is an infinite uh, being where we are finite, and we're going to be learning these things all throughout eternity. And it's going to be a beautiful thing as we know more about God. And so, not only are names just revealed uh, just in specific little sound bites in the Bible, most of these are attached to stories. And most of these stories, as we're going to see today, are not not nice little uh, churchy stories uh, that you hear about. Many of these stories uh, are, are messed up. I mean, almost salacious of of broken people doing all the wrong things and then god enters into the story to show that he is watching and that he cares and today's story is a great example of that so let's let's look at a passage for the day uh genesis 16 1 through 10 and then verse 13. now sarah abram's wife who later becomes abraham had borne him no children she had a female egyptian servant whose name was hagar and sarah said to abram behold now the lord has prevented me from bearing children go into my servant that it may be by her that you shall obtain children and abram listened to the voice of sarah so after abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, sarah abram's wife took hagar the egyptian her servant and gave her to abraham her husband as a wife and he went into and she conceived and when she saw she had conceived she looked with contempt on her mistress and Sarah said to Abraham may the wrong done to me be on you I gave you my servant to embrace and she saw that you had conceived she looked at me with contempt may the Lord judge between you and me but Abram said to Sarah behold your servant is in your power do to her as you please then Sarah dealt harshly with her and she fled verse 7 says the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness the spring of the way to Shur and he said Hagar servant of Sarah where have you come from and where are you going she said I am fleeing from my mistress Sarah and the angel of the Lord said to her return to your mistress and submit to her and the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for a multitude. And then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, God, uh, show us what you would want to show us in your word today uh, about who you are. Give us insight, and depth into your character that we may grow deeper in our relationship with you. Come in. Uh, how many of you have read, or maybe heard of the, the book, The Scarlet Letter? Right, we got we got a few people in here. Uh, have, I mean, how many at least heard of like someone saying Scarlet Letter before? Okay, it's a it's a historical fiction by an American author named uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne. uh, And it's published in 1850. And it's set in the Massachusetts Bay Colony area uh, during the years of uh, 1642 to 1649. And the novel tells of a story of a lady named Hester Prime who conceives a daughter with a man to whom she is not married. And then she's struggling to create a new life. But the religious folks are not having it. At the beginning of the story, in Puritan, Boston, uh, a crowd gathers to witness the punishment of Hester because of what she has done, who has given birth to a baby, but the father is nowhere to be found. This area is highly religious, and the sense that they give her, that they give Hester, is that she is to stand on the scaffold, uh, on a platform, for three hours, being exposed to taunting, and public humiliation, and she is uh, um, sentenced to wear a scarlet A, uh, standing for the the rest of her life, standing for the fact that she is obviously an adulteress, and she has to wear it for the rest of her life. So Hester uh, approaches the platform, and many of the women actually become angry because they admire her beauty and her quiet dignity. And when she's commanded to name the the, the name of the father uh, hester refuses leaving her alone to a life of shame and ridicule and sentencing her to a life of loneliness being ostracized in her community for the rest of her life now i won't spoil the rest of the story for you and maybe you already know it but i bring it up because in some ways uh, we all know how it feels to be forgotten, or to be ridiculed, or even shamed for something we've done. Or maybe you're like me at times, nobody's shaming you, but you're shaming yourself. And this has everything to do with the story that we're gonna talk about today. So what does the series of names of God have to do with an illegitimate child? And we're about to see that in the lens of three points today, and you can see those three points in your bulletin. We're gonna talk about the futility of taking matters into your own hands. We're going to talk about blaming others from lack of judgment. And then we're going to talk about the idea of hope in the midst of dysfunctionality. So let's look at the uh, futility uh, of taking matters into your own hands. Uh, you see the first few verses, it says, now Sarah, Abram's uh, wife, she bore him no children. So Sarah had a female servant, um, Egyptian servant, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to, to Abram, Behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go unto my servant, that it may be by her that you will obtain children. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abraham had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram as her husband, her husband as a wife, and went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. So at this point in the Bible, up to the story, uh, God had promised Abraham. He had made a promise to Abraham. He promised him that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. But years and years passed without Abraham and and his wife Sarah being able to have children. And as many as many of us do while we're waiting on God, especially when it's over a long time period, They begin to doubt God. Uh, They're not getting any younger. They begin thinking they're going to have to take matters into their own hands instead of trusting what God said. And when they do, it gets very messy. and It's about to get real. See, Sarah had an Egyptian servant, as we see here, Hagar, and she offered her to Abraham to begin their family. This is outside of God's plan. It wasn't God's plan for them to do that. Uh, But it's also common during that time. For these kind of things to happen instead of getting their perspective and their idea from god they looked at the culture around him and began to tell him there's the way we do it instead of the way that god does it and and when they do um uh, abraham agreed with the plan Hagar becomes pregnant Then Hagar despises sarah for forcing her to do it sarah turns around and sees Hagar being proud and arrogant and ungrateful, she gets resentful of her. Even though it's all a part of Sarah's plan, she begins to cruelly cruelly mistreat Hagar, and then the drama begins. And this, from the outset, is a prime example, this story, of when we don't wait on God and we take matters into our own hands. And it's easy to cast judgment here on Sarah and uh, Abram, but we do this all the time in our lives, not depending on God, not waiting on God, taking matters in our own hands, it blows up in our face, and then we get frustrated when we do. So let's look at what happens after this. Uh, Roman number two, blaming others for lack of judgment. Verse five says, And Sarah said to Abraham, May the wrong done to me be on you.
1: I gave you my servant to embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked at me with
0: contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. You can do to her what you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So here we have the immediate result of all their planning and trying to force and manipulate a situation instead of waiting on God. And Sarah says to Abraham, This is your fault. You're the one that got her pregnant. Abraham says, It was your idea. She's your handmaiden. And so here, here we have it, back and forth. You handle it. No responsibility, no ownership, blame shifting, a divided household, just looking for someone to be the scapegoat when they, in this mess that they've created. And poor Hagar is just caught in the middle. And Sarah and Abraham just want it to go away. They want their mistakes to go away. No one in the family takes responsibility. As we said, the family is divided. Hagar is the family's dirty little secret at this point. And in the end, they don't want just the problem to go away. They want Hagar to go away. They shame her and they treat her so badly, especially with Sarah, that she just runs off. Makes their life easier. But Hagar is in misery. And she's alone and she's pregnant. And she just runs out into the desert. No game plan and no hope for the future. So what happens next? Let's look at verse 7 hope in the, uh, in this third point, hope in the midst of dysfunctionality. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in a wilderness and sprang away to Sarah. And he said, Hagar, hey, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they can't be numbered, my multitude. And she called the name of the place that God spoke to her you're the God of seeing for she said truly here I have seen him who looks after me Hagar has been many mystery of our mistress she had been done she had done what she did not want to do but as a slave she had no rights she had no opinions she had no choice Out of desperation, she finally just fled because she couldn't take the abuse anymore or the pain anymore and she quickly found herself alone and defenseless without shelter and without food and pregnant nonetheless. To say that she was scared and lonely and felt unloved is an understatement. She wondered in her despair, does anyone care about me? Does anyone care about what's happening to me or what's happening to my unborn baby? Can you relate to her? Have you had times like this in your life, perhaps not her situation exactly, but the emotions that she experiences here at the time, fear, loneliness, feeling unloved. I feel like nobody notices the things that you do or who you are. Maybe your spouse has abandoned you or or your children. Maybe you lost your, your, your job, your home. Maybe your parents neglected or abused you as a child. Maybe your employer overlooks the hard work that you do. Maybe a friend, or a spouse, or a family member has hurt and even betrayed you. Maybe it's none of the above. Maybe like Hagar, right now, you just feel like you're walking around, wandering around the desert life with no meaning and no purpose. Perhaps you've wondered the same thing as Hagar when she found herself alone by this desert well of saying, does anyone care about me? Does anyone know what I'm going through? Perhaps you've even wondered, does God know? And cried out to God, God, don't you see what I'm going through? God, don't you see how bad it is? And the answer to all these heart-wrenching questions when we cry out to God is the same answer as it was for Hagar. Yes. Yes, he does. Because, as with Hagar, God is the God who sees. Not in general. He sees you. Think about this. The angel of the Lord appears to Hagar. His first worst... What was his first word? Hagar. Knew her by name. Called her out as an individual. And not only did he see her in distress, but he knew her name. And God knows your name. And he sees you as an individual. And he's acting on your behalf. Not, not just uh, uh, in, in the good time, but especially when you're hurting. Whenever you, it, it, whether you know it or not. There's never a time that God is not loving and guarding and protecting you even though it may not feel like it at times, See, God called Hagar by name. He said Hagar, and in turn, she calls him by name. El Roy, the God who sees, not just in general, the God who sees me. See, in the end, we're confronted with the fact here that we're all Hagars. We're all victims of a broken world and dysfunctionality that produces pain and heartbreak, and it makes us all feel like outcasts at times uncomfortable in our own skin makes us feel like that we are the people sometimes they have to pick up the broken pieces do you feel like that today do you feel alone do you feel like no one understands you or gets you god knows he understands he is the god who sees you he sees it all he is el roy see this is less for all of us if you felt abandoned or overlooked or hurt or betrayed remember this story wasn't a one and done thing this is who God consistently is every day in relation to who we are. His character never changes. What he did for Hagar, he continues to do it for individuals like you and me today. How comforting is it to know that El Roy sees us and the struggles that we were going through and he comes to those and comes to us in those moments. You ever wonder out of all the billions of people in the world, does God even like know that you exist? Doesn't he have bigger things to do? Does he really single you out as an individual? Or are you just unknown in this mass of humanity? Know that God sees you, and as an individual you are known by him. I mean, the Bible says this in several verses that that allude to this. It says that he knows the very number of hairs on your head, Matthew 10, 30 says. Psalm 139 says that he took an intimate interest in us, forming us in our wombs as individuals before we were even born, that we were fearfully and wonderfully made, and he loves you so much, they sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die a horrific death for you and your sins individually, as much as the sins of the world, so that you can be forgiven and reconciled, because he wants a relationship specifically with you. And then in the end here, not only that, but the Bible reminds us that that Jesus can sympathize with us in a way that no one else can, because he lives as a human being. This is one of the reasons that he came in the flesh. He experienced things that we experience. He is concerned for us when we are in trouble. He's concerned for us when we're tempted. He's concerned for us when we're hurting. He, In, in addition to the sympathy he has for us, he can always also relieve our suffering. He can provide for our daily needs. He's here, is, he is here for us when we get in trouble. He can help us to avoid uh, and bad habits and, and self-destructive habits in our life. Jesus simply means not only that he experiences what we feel emotionally, not only does he rejoice with us when we rejoice, or, or, or he mourns with us when we mourn, but he also is, is not just a, a, a person that's sitting there wringing his hands or weighed down by our emotions. No, he can and he will raise us up in newness of life, rejuvenate our emotions in our lives when we go to him. <coughs> when you come to him today, He's the El Royi, the God who sees and relates to you in your finest hours and in your darkest days of your life. Think about that. The God who sees you individually takes interest in you individually as we celebrate that fact as we come to a time of communion today. Let's pray. (coughs) Father, I thank you uh, that in a world where we are unknown and this treats us like anonymous people almost dehumanizing ways of just looking over us uh, that you take a vested interest in us and you dignify us as human beings and you see us you don't just see the outside you're, you're, you see us in the heart of hearts of who we are and the things that, that, that we know are exposed uh, are not always comforting to us because we know the darkness of our own heart but in the midst of that you still love us through your grace and the Son, and, and through the work that your Son did. Help us to remember that. Help us to, when we are in despair or feel lonely, to know that you're there with us. Comfort us with the fact that you're a God who God, a God who sees. In Jesus' name, Amen. <laughs> We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. We want to remind our listeners that our doors are always open at Chelsea Presbyterian Church, and we invite all our listeners to join us for worship. You can visit us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at Chelsea Middle School. To hear more of our sermons from our church or for more information, you can find us online at www.chelseapres.org or check us out on Facebook.